0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Annie Coleman in St. Louis, Missouri, in June, two thousand six. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Chapter thirty seven. That was all fixed. So then we went away and went to the rubbish pile in the back yard, where they keep the old boots and rags and pieces of bottles, and wore out tin things and all such truck, and scratched around, and found an old tin wash-pan, and stopped up the holes as well as we could to bake the pie in, and took it down cellar, and stole it full of flour, and started for breakfast, and found a couple of shingle-nails that Tom said would be handy for a prisoner to scrabble his name and sorrows on the dungeon walls with and dropped one of them in aunt sally's apron pocket which was hanging on a chair and the other we stuck in the band of uncle silas's hat which was on the bureau because we heard the children say their pa and ma was going to the runaway nigger's house this morning and then went to breakfast and tom dropped the pewter spoon in uncle silas's coat pocket and aunt sally wasn't come yet so we had to wait a little while and when she come she was hot and red and cross and couldn't hardly wait for the blessin', and then she went to sluicing out coffee with one hand and crackin' the handiest child's head with her thimble with the other and says i've hunted high and i've hunted low and it does beat all what has become of your other shirt my heart fell down amongst my lungs and livers and things and a hard piece of corn crust started down my throat after it and got me on the road with a cough and was shot across the table, and took one of the children in the eye, and curled him up like a fishin' worm and let a cry out of him the size of a war-whoop. And Tom, he turned kinder blue around the gills, and it all amounted to a considerable state of things for about a quarter of a minute, or as much as that, and I would have sold out for half price if there was a bidder. But after that, we was all right again. It was the sudden surprise of it that knocked us kinder of cold." uncle silas he says it's most uncommon curious i can't understand it i know perfectly well i took it off because because you hain't got but one on just listen at the man i know you took it off and know it by a better way than your wool gatherin' memory too because it was on the clothes line yesterday i see it there myself but it's gone that's the long and short of it and you'll just have to change to a red flannel one till i can get time to make a new one and it'll be the third one I've made in two years. "'It just keeps a body on the jump to keep you in shirts, "'and whatever you do manage to do with em all "'is more I can make out. "'A body'd think you would learn to take some sort of care of em "'at your time of life.' "'I know it, Sally. I do try all I can, "'but it oughtn't to be altogether my fault, "'because, you know, I don't see them "'nor have nothing to do with them except when they're on me.' "'and I don't believe I've ever lost one of them off of me.' "'Well, it ain't your fault if you haven't, Silas. "'You'd have done it if you could, I reckon. "'And the shirt ain't all that's gone, nother. "'There's a spoon gone, and that ain't all. "'There was ten, and now there's only nine. "'The calf got the shirt, I reckon. "'But the calf never took the spoon, that's certain.' "'Why, what else is gone, Sally?' "'There's six candles gone, that's what. "'The rats could have got the candles, and I reckon they did.' I wonder they don't walk off of the whole place the way you're always going to stop their holes and don't do it. And if they weren't fools, they'd sleep in your hair, Silas. You'd never find it out, but you can't lay the spoon on the rats, and that I know. Well, Sally, I'm in fault, and I acknowledge it. I've been remiss, but I won't let tomorrow go by without stopping up them holes. Oh, I wouldn't hurry. Next year I'll do. Matilda Angelina Araminta Phelps! "'Whack comes a thimble, and the child snatches her claws out of the sugar-bowl "'without foolin' around any. "'Just then the nigger woman steps on to the passage and says, "Missus, day's a sheet gone.' "'A sheet gone? Well, for the land's sake!' "'I'll stop up them holes to-day,' says Uncle Silas, lookin' sorrowful. "'Oh, do shut up! Suppose the rats took the sheet? "'Where's it gone, lies?' Glad o' goodness, I hain't no notion, Miss Sally. "'She was on de clothesline yesterday, but she done gone. "'She ain't done no more now. "'I reckon the world is comin' to an end. "'I never see the beat of it in all my born days. "'A shirt, and a sheet, and a spoon, and six can't missus,' "'comes the young yaller wench. "'Day's a breast-candlestick missin.' "'Clear out from here, you hussy, or I'll take a skillet to ye.' "'Well, she was just a bilin. "'I begun to lay for a chance. "'I reckoned I would sneak out and go for the woods "'till the weather moderated. "'She kept a raging right along, "'running her insurrection all by herself, "'and everybody else mighty meek and quiet. "'And at last, Uncle Silas, looking kind of foolish, "'fishes up that spoon out of his pocket. "'She stopped, with her mouth open and her hands up, "'and as for me, I wished I was in Jerusalem or somewheres, but not long, because she says, It's just as I expected. So you had it in your pocket all the time, and like as not, you've got the other things there, too. How'd it get there? I really don't know, Sally, he says, kind of apologizing. Or you know I would tell. I was a-studying over my text in Act 17 before breakfast, and I reckon I put it in there, not noticing, meaning to put my testament in. And it must be so, because my testament ain't in. But I'll go and see, and if the testament is where I had it, I'll know I didn't put it in. And that will show that I laid the testament down, and took up the spoon, and, oh, for the land's sake, give a body a rest. Go long now, the whole kit and bilin of ye, and don't come nigh me again till I've got back my peace of mind." "'I'd a heard her if she'd a said it to herself, let alone speaking it out, "'and I'd a got up and obeyed her if I'd a been dead. "'As we was passing through the settin' room the old man he took up his hat, "'and the shingle-nail fell out on the floor, "'and he just merely picked it up and laid it on the mantel-shelf, "'and never said nothin' and went out. "'Tom see him do it, and remembered about the spoon, and says, "'Well, it ain't no use to send things by him no more. He ain't reliable.' THEN HE SAYS, BUT HE DONE US A GOOD TURN WITH THE SPOON ANYHOW, WITHOUT knowin' IT, AND SO WE'LL GO AND DO HIM ONE WITHOUT HIM knowin' IT, STOP UP HIS RAT HOLES. THERE WAS A NOBLE GOOD LOT OF THEM DOWN CELLAR, AND IT TOOK US A WHOLE HOUR, BUT WE DONE THE JOB TIGHT AND GOOD AND SHIP-SHAPE. THEN WE HEARD STEPS ON THE STAIRS, AND BLOWED OUT OUR LIGHT AND HID, AND HERE COMES THE OLD MAN WITH A CANDLE IN ONE HAND, AND A BUNDLE OF STUFF IN THE OTHER. "'lookin' as absent-minded as year before last. "'He went a-moonin' around, first to one rat-hole and then another, "'till he'd been to them all. "'Then he stood about five minutes, "'pickin' tallow drip off of his candle and thinkin'. "'Then he turns off slow and dreamy towards the stairs, sayin', "'Well, for the laugh of me, I can't remember when I'd done it. "'I could show her now that I warn't to blame on account of the rats. "'But never mind, let it go.' i reckon it wouldn't do no good and so he went on a mumblin' upstairs and then we left he was a mighty nice old man and always is tom was a good deal bothered about what to do for a spoon but he said we'd got to have it so he took a think when he had ciphered it out he told me how we was to do then we went and waited around the spoon basket till we see aunt sally comin. And then Tom went to countin' the spoons and layin' them out to one side, and I slid one of them up my sleeve, and Tom says Why, Aunt Sally, there ain't but nine spoons yet. She says Go along to your play and don't bother me, I know better I counted em myself. Well, I've counted them twice, Auntie, and I can't make but nine. She looked out of all patience, but of course she come to count, anybody would. I declared to gracious there ain't but nine, she says. Why, what in the world? Plague, take the things. I'll count them again. So I slipped back the one I had. When she got done counting, she says, Hang the troublesome rubbish. There's ten now. And she looked huffy and bothered both. But Tom says, Why, Auntie, I don't think there's ten. You numbskull, didn't you see me count em? I know, but... "'Well, I'll count em again.' "'So I smouched one, and they come out nine, same as the other time. "'Well, she was in a tearin way, just a tremblin' all over she was so mad. "'But she counted and counted till she got that addled. "'She'd start to count in a basket for a spoon sometimes. "'And so three times they come out right, and three times they come out wrong. "'Then she grabbed up the basket and slammed it across the house, "'and knocked the cat galley west.' "'and she said clear her out and let her have some peace, "'and if we came bothering her again betwixt that and dinner, she'd skin us. "'So we had the odd spoon, and dropped it in her apron pocket "'while she was givin' us our sailin' orders, "'and Jim got it all right, along with her shingle-nail, before noon. "'We was very well satisfied with this business, "'and Tom allowed it was worth twice the trouble it took, "'because he said now she couldn't ever count them spoons twice alike again to save her life, and wouldn't believe she'd counted them right if she did, and said that after she'd about counted her head off for the next three days, he judged she'd give it up and offer to kill anybody that wanted her to ever count them any more. So we put the sheet back on the line that night, and stole one out of her closet, and kept on putting it back and stealing it again for a couple of days, till she didn't know how many sheets she had any more, and she didn't care, and weren't a goin' to bully-rag the rest of her soul out about it, "'and wouldn't count them again, not to save her life. "'She'd druther die first. "'So we was all right now, "'as to the shirt and the sheet and the spoon and the candles, "'by the help of the calf and the rats and the mixed-up countin', "'and as to the candlestick, it weren't no consequence. "'It would blow over by and by. "'But that pie was a job. "'We had no end of trouble with that pie. "'We fixed it up away down in the woods and cooked it there, "'and we got it done at last, and very satisfactory, too.' but not all in one day, and we had to use up three washpans full of flour before we got through, and we got burnt pretty much all over in places and eyes put out with the smoke, because, you see, we didn't want nothing but a crust, and we couldn't prop it up right, and she would always cave in. But, of course, we thought of the right way at last, which was to cook the latter, too, in the pie. So then we laid in with Jim the second night. "'and tore up the sheet all in little strings and twisted them together, "'and long before daylight we had a lovely rope "'that you could have hung a person with. "'We let on it took nine months to make it. "'And in the forenoon we took it down to the woods, "'but it wouldn't go into the pie. "'Being made of a whole sheet that way, "'there was rope enough for forty pies if we'd a wanted them, "'and plenty left over for soup or sausage or anything you choose. "'We could have had a whole dinner.' But we didn't need it. All we needed was just enough for the pie, and so we throwed the rest away. We didn't cook none of the pies in the wash-pan, afraid the solder would melt. But Uncle Silas, he had a noble brass warming-pan, which he thought considerable of, because it belonged to one of his ancestors with a long wooden handle that come over from England with William the Conqueror in the Mayflower, or one of them early ships, "'and was hid away up garret with a lot of other old pots and things that was valuable, "'not on account of being any account, because they weren't, "'but on account of them being relics, you know. "'And we snaked her out private and took her down there, "'but she failed on the first pies, because we didn't know how, "'but she come up smiling on the last one. "'We took and lined her with dough and set her in the coals "'and loaded her up with rag-rope and put on a dough roof and shut down the lid, and put hot embers on top, and stood off five foot with the long handle, cool and comfortable. And in fifteen minutes she turned out a pie that was a satisfaction to look at. But the person that ate it would want to fetch a couple of cags of toothpicks along, for if that rope ladder wouldn't cramp him down to business, I don't know nothing what I'm talking about, and lay him in enough stomach ache to last him till next time too. Nat didn't look when we put the witch pie in Jim's pan and we put the three tin plates in the bottom of the pan under the vittles, and so Jim got everything all right, and as soon as he was by himself he busted into the pie and hid the rope ladder inside of his straw tick and scratched some marks on a tin plate and throwed it out of the window-hole. End of chapter thirty-seven